You're listening to the All Things Good Sports Podcast, a product of All Things Good Company. Welcome to the ATG Sports Podcast. This is Jeff Pulver, and this is the second half of our interview with professional basketball player Mike Taylor. If you haven't listened to the first half of the interview yet, I really encourage you to go back and listen. Mike talked a lot about his backstory up until he got into the NBA. He talked about growing up in inner city Milwaukee, being the National Junior College Defensive Player of the Year on the best junior college in the country, then moving on to Iowa State where he competed with Kevin Durant as one of the best players in their conference. And he went directly from Iowa State to the D-League, now the G-League, and his team won the D-League championship that year, leading to him becoming the first player ever drafted to the NBA directly from the D-League. And we talked a lot about the details of the NBA draft and all the things that happened behind the scenes. It was really cool. So from here, we're going to talk about what happens once he got into the NBA the relationships he built with players, what it was like to play on the biggest stage. After he was in the NBA, Mike went on to win eight titles in international leagues in Europe, Africa, and Asia. So we'll talk a lot about that. And now he plays in the big three. So we're going to touch on that quite a bit. We'll also talk about Mike's charitable work with his foundation, the TaylorMade Foundation, He's doing a lot of good for the kids in inner city Milwaukee, so it's really cool to hear about someone giving back to the community they grew up in. I will warn you that there are a little more audio issues in this half of the interview than most of our episodes, but push through it. I promise it's a really good conversation. So now, on to the interview portion of the show. Thank you for tuning in, and enjoy. So, you played in the Clippers that year, and you mentioned a few of the names already. You played with Eric Gordon and DeAndre Jordan, yeah, Chris Kamen, Tino Mobley, Zach Randolph, yeah. Ricky Davis, all those guys. Can you talk about what it was like that year that you were there to play with some great players and then face off against the best players in the world. And you did hold your own in the league that year. Mm-hmm. I think you averaged almost six points per game in 15 minutes. So you were like a legitimate role player. Can you talk about what it was like to be playing on that stage? I mean, it's one of the most amazing things because first off, it's like you living your dream. And it's like they got a chance to experience something that they've been dreaming about for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, so just in that aspect, it was like one of the most amazing things. Like, you know, but you living out one of your dreams. But overall, I didn't really like my year in the NBA. Okay. I felt like it was a lot of politics around me. And I wasn't given the opportunity to show my full game just because of I was a 55th pick and I wasn't guaranteed money. So even though I was a better player than, you know, some of the rookies and some of the veterans on the team, mm-hmm. because my contract wasn't guaranteed, these other guys were allowed to play more than me because they had more money invested into them. Exactly. They had the long-term investment, so they were betting on those right. players to work out exactly. the way it happens. I was more advanced. I was more ready at this time than any other person on my team. Mm-hmm. I felt like 
we had a very old team that was fighting injuries. And, you know what I'm saying? I was just coming from a D-League championship team to the worst team in the NBA. You see what I'm saying? So it's like I developed some great habits that year. And I just felt like what I was was devalued once I got to the NBA. Not saying that it should have been put on a pedestal, but I was more ready that time than anybody in this draft class. And I was looked at as a college player. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. I was a rookie because it was my first year in the NBA, but I had a year of professional experience already. Do you understand what I'm Yeah, you talked about what it was like coming out of college and having to basically earn your stripes with the G League team. Mm-hmm. You did that, and then you went on, and you were one of the key players on the best team in the league and a key player in the league in general, and then it's almost like that got wiped out in their minds, the NBA, it sounds like. Right. I mean, and it's like nobody knows. Like, to this day, like, people didn't know that I was the first player to be dropped from the D League to the NBA. So at mm-hmm. that time... You know what I'm saying? When you're the first person to do something, like while you're doing it, nobody really values it. You don't nobody know you were the first person to do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and think about all the players that are going to be drafted out of the G League now that this program's happening. Oh, yeah. It's going to go rapid now because now this is the time that we're in. Everything is instant now. So this thing is going to catch fire, like, rapid. But then they're going to see who's the mm-hmm. first person to do this. And all of those routes trace back to me. Absolutely. My story will eventually get out here like it's supposed to, and there's only one way, and it has to go through me. Definitely. So after the year with the Clippers, you started your journey overseas, and you were all over the place. You were successful overseas too, right? So you won oh, championships oh, okay, so. in all those places. You want to list those off? Okay, so before that, like I have an NBA record too. I got the most points scored in Madison Square Garden for a rookie. Oh, yeah, the 35-point game. Yeah. Yeah, I shared that record with Alan Iverson, and it's still, like, alive to this day. So I actually felt like I did above and beyond job. I, like, in the NBA, I know I should have had another contract in the NBA. I still should be an NBA player. Mm-hmm. But Donald Sterling was, you know what I'm saying, the owner of the Clippers at the time. Like, it was just a tough situation in L.A. It was just – that was just a yeah. tough time. And yeah, it didn't exactly run lost. that organization the right way. Exactly. Just that yeah. organization, you know, and during that period, it was just a tough time. So I just felt, like I said earlier, it was like a two to three year, I felt like I was above my time. So mm-hmm. had it been a year or two later, I think I stick in the NBA for a, a very long time. My NBA comparisons was Lou Williams, Gennaro Pargo, and Jamal Crawford, all bona fide six-man bitch roles, you know what I'm saying, on every team that they played on. Um, yep. So I know that I did everything that I had to do, so I've been able to kind of get through that depressed moment of not actually being able to get my all in the NBA. Yeah, moving forward. As soon as I got out the NBA, I went over to Serbia. And I tore my ACL my first year. <laughs> oh, I did uh, not know that. Oh, my playing, God. Yeah, but it was like I had NBA teams coming over there. I had the Portland Trailblazers coming over there. 
I had another team coming over there to to see me to get me to come back to the NBA. But it was like, you know, I just got out the NBA because I didn't have a guarantee on my contract. And it was like they just wanted me to come back for the rest of this season. And it was already like playoff time almost. You know what I'm saying? It was probably like a month and a half in the season left. So it was like I, I was looking for something guaranteed. So if I wasn't able to get that, so I ended up staying in Serbia because our team, we winning. I'm like player of the month. I'm averaging like 25 points a game. So I stay in Serbia. And the next month, I tear my ACL. Another bad timing. Yeah. And then, you know, overseas basketball, this is my first time playing overseas basketball. I wasn't getting paid for three months. It was just a whole thing. I had to take this team to court to get my money. It was just a whole different oh my God. experience. But overall, my overseas experience has been wonderful. I've won, you know, seven, eight championships overseas. I won in Poland in 2014. I won a championship. PGE Turo. We was actually supposed to be on NBA 2K15. But they put the new team that came on, not the team who actually won a championship. Oh, uh, yeah. You know you know how that goes? So we won a championship in Poland. 2016-2017, I won a championship and started the preseason off in Is it Lebanon? Uh, Lebanon. Yeah, I started, yeah. I started the preseason off in Lebanon. And I went MVP of the tournament and my team win the championship of the tournament, score 160 points in five games, and we win the championship. I'm not allowed to play. It's another team that had my contract for two years, and they don't pick up my contract for the second year, so I'm not even allowed to play in Lebanon for uh, that season. So I go to Qatar. I win the championship, uh, regular season championship, and playoff championship out of Qatar. So I win mm-hmm. two championships in Qatar in the same season. The day I win a championship in Qatar, the same day, I leave and go to Korea because it's an opportunity to where they're like game four in their championship. Their point guard twists his ankle real bad. They need a replacement point guard. So I come in. I think the series is like two, three. They just need one game to win. I play one game, win a championship in Korea. <laughs> That's crazy. So, it's like this whole season, you know, I changed my number to 88 this year. I was just leading with new intentions in my life. So I decided to you know, change my number, just change my way that I move. Started to be more active with my nonprofit foundation, Tether May Foundation. Was just more hands on with my life and my story. I know I have one of the most unique stories that. I've been an inspiration in my city to you know, just everybody that I came in contact with. So I've just been getting more personal and more intentional with everything that I've been doing and been just putting it all together, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been kind of halfway in, halfway out. And just recently, I tore my ACL again after I go from winning all of these championships, I come home and I work out for the Philadelphia 76ers and I tear my ACL. Oh, my God. So this is 2017. This is when the 76ers are about to draft Marquise Fultz. This is that year. And I tear my ACL like 
me and Jazz Bayless kind of get tangled up. Like my, like my leg buckled. So I tear my ACL again. This is around that same time, right? So just putting everything, like I said, just putting my, my true intention out, um, taking full ownership of myself. And, and one of the main reasons that put me in this mind frame is that, you know, I was able to play in three different countries. I won four championships in three different countries. And I was my own agent. How I was able to do that was just, you know, when I breached a contract, I was probably say for the last six years, I've been my own agent. Like when these teams are not paying you on time because hardly any team overseas pays on time, unless you're just in the top, you know what I'm saying, top situation, the top country. That's breach of contract. So I've been able to maneuver and leave and get out of contracts and go play in a whole different country. So just being able to know that I have that power overseas, that's how I was able to win, you know, four championships in three different countries. I would leave and come yeah. back. I just been able to figure out my own way. And I've been able to do that, you know, like I said, I was the first player from the D League to be drafted. I've been figuring out my own way through this thing this whole time. Yeah, it certainly takes a lot of creativity to get to play for four different championships in one single year. It's crazy. So how did you end up, you know, after your injury and then you recovered from that, how'd you end up getting hooked up with the big three this last year? Was it former teammates that you played with that hooked you up with that? You know, Ricky Davis has been like, man, my big brother, my mentor since I was a rookie, like him and Contino Mobley. I mean, it was my best. Actually, you know, it was Baron Davis. He played in the big three as well. Mm -hmm. um, but Ricky Davis, my close, 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 close friend. And just being in contact with him, um, you know, he was in the big three, and when the big three would come to Chicago, you know, he had the AAU team out of Houston. And they, you know, I'm, I'm from Milwaukee, though. It was a big tournament in Milwaukee. And, you know, he would come out there, and, you know, I would uh, make sure that his team could get in the gym. He would get in the gym and everything. And we just built a relationship outside of basketball, so. He just been telling me to, you know, get back healthy. And once I get back healthy, I told him that I wanted to play in the big three. And he was like, he was like, you was my number one pick. I've been looking for you for, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was just waiting for you to get back healthy. As I'm getting back healthy, you know, I get back to the uh, team in Korea, but I'm only there for one month. My knee ended up getting swollen. Just a lot of little complications. They got me working out in the three, four times a day. So I ended up coming back home for like three months. I ended up going to China. I go to China and play in the NBA. And as soon as I get to China, it's like I'm scoring 30, 40. So I'm sending all my highlights and everything to all of the, the commissioner and Clyde Drexler, I'm sending it to the to the the, the basketball directors, the all the operation guys. I'm just sending them, emailing them all my highlights and stuff. I ended up leaving China and going to Libya and Africa, and I won a championship there. I won two championships in Africa. So after I do that, I send all the the pictures and everything you know, to the Big Three uh, management and. You know, they ended up putting me in the draft pool. As soon as I came back home, I kind of went to the uh, the combine. And, man, after I played in the combine and everything for the big three draft, 
it was kind of a wrap after that. <laughs> it was like that half yeah. court situation. It's just something that like I feel like <laughs> I can do that all day. You know, I press players full court on defense in a 94 feet game. So in a half court setting, practically impossible for me to get tired in that setting. Yeah, because a lot of these guys, basically outside of the big three, they've been out of basketball for five years. They couldn't do the full court anymore, and you've got quite a bit more stamina than they have. So for the listeners that haven't watched the big three yet, basically to dumb it down a little bit, it's three on three, half court, play to 50, win by two. They have some creative things like four point circles that you can shoot from, which I saw Mike hit a couple of last year. And when you get fouled shooting a two point shot, it's one free throw for two points. You get fouled in a three, you shoot one open three pointer for three points. It's really cool. And they've got a lot of former NBA players in the league, like Joe Johnson was the MVP last year. And Al Jefferson, Amari Stoudemire, Jason Richardson, Gilbert Arenas, a bunch of guys. So, you know, it looks like a lot of fun. I just started watching the league this past year, but it looks like you're having a good time with that league. And you're coming back for more this year, right? Yeah, man. I'm having a lot of fun in that league, man. It's just, you know, I've been playing overseas for a long time. So just to be playing back home in America, like, that's something unique and special for me, you know, just to be around my mm-hmm. family, be around some of my friends. And what Ice Cube is doing with this league is definitely legendary before its time. It started three years before it became an Olympic sport. So, mm. um, yes. So, so it's just like it's, it's groundbreaking. Like right now, for this year, like we're putting together, you know, trying to do some quarantine reality type of situation so we're gonna figure something out i know ice cube fully trust him and you know all the the management and all the other guys that's behind the scenes i trust them that uh you know they're gonna pull it out they're gonna put it together because you know just being a part of this this is just is legendary to me this is another style of basketball that gives the fans something that I feel like the NBA and the other sports leagues don't give them. It's a more interactual with the fans. Like the fans mm. can actually touch these players and, and, and see these players and interact with these players and really have, you know, fan player contact. Not, it's not that, yeah, it's not that popular in other sports. And it's action in these games. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, you get right to it 50 points, half court. You know what I'm saying? They got the street ball type of feel, but at the same time, you got some of the the, the best scorers in the world, like Joe Johnson, got Nate Robinson, Brandon Rush, and it's just like a whole lot of guys that that still got game, man, and still go. So Zach Randolph yeah, is gonna be there this year. Like, yes, yeah, I like saw that. Up. That's, that's it, exciting. Yes, it's, it's, it's everything is just picking up. So you know, what I'm saying I'm excited to see wherever direction this league is going at. I'm all for it. Yeah, I originally tuned in last year just to try to see some of the players that I, you know, watched 10 years ago play. And and like you said, you know, some of them haven't stayed in the gym and and some people, you know, couldn't hold up for the whole length of the season. But most of the players, 
most of the players still got a lot of game in, especially if you take out the cardio or a mm-hmm. portion of the cardio by making it half court and you allow them to showcase their skills, man, it's still a sight to see. And, and then I got to notice guys like you who I, you know, didn't know thoroughly before and get to mm-hmm. see you guys play and, and go at it with these old stars. And it's, it's pretty cool, man. And I think Ice Cube, he's a heck of a businessman with this big three, because I think it's genius that they're doing it in the summer Definitely. when there's very few sports going on. It's basically mm-hmm. just baseball for the most part going on. And they do it basically NFL style where the teams play once a week and it's on Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday. And they put it on TV and it's just a string of games back to back to back. And and I think that's real cool because it's something you can look forward to during the week, just like people do with the NFL. And it doesn't get old in the way that some sports leagues do where you're on every night, every night. It's like, okay, you know, can't wait to I see mean, that matchup next week. I mean, I know for a fact that it's genius and it's groundbreaking because if you could just look at the format of this year's NBA All-Star game and the three-point contest and just the way some of the things were were ran is pretty much basically, not pretty much, it's exactly the format of how our big three leaders ran. Definitely. They're okay, starting to start, adopt what they're doing, yeah. Exactly. Like, each quarter they're competing. Each quarter, it's which team gets to this number of points first. Every game, it's a game-winning shot in the big three. Every game yeah. goes up to 50. You see what I'm saying? So it's like every they, – they styled it after the NBA, the three-point contest. They got this long ball shot, which is like our mm-hmm. four-ball shot, our fireball shot. You know what I'm saying? So our four-pointer. So, like, in this year's NBA contest, they was doing a regular three-point, but they would have these three spots to where they would have this long-distance shot, pretty much like the four-ball. So it's just, like – it's just fun to see, like, them – copy and paste some of the things that, you know, we've done in this league. So you definitely know that the genius of a play by Q. So we're just looking forward to seeing where, you know, it's going to go from years to come. I know this league is here to stay. For sure. And it's good to see you still be a part of it. So uh, before we wrap up, I want to just talk for a while about your TaylorMade Foundation and what you're doing with that. I've been following for the last year or so when you post stuff on your Instagram story, you know, getting the kids to play basketball and teaching them all kinds of things. Can you talk about what you guys do? What TaylorMade Foundation is a youth organization uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, geared towards the inner city youth. So my program has been around for I want to say since 2008, 2009, when I was in the NBA, I gave the girls and boys basketball shoes and stuff like that. But I just did a lot of the things. I just did it out the goodness of my heart, you know what I'm saying? Because I was once one of these kids, and I knew what it was like to not have, you know, shoes. I know what it was like to not have you know, all the supplies that you need for school and not having a winter coat. And, you know what I'm saying? I know what it's like to be that kid, to be less fortunate. So I take it personal when I am uh, giving back to my community. So this past year, this past winter season, I gave out over 500 coats 
that I personally spend my money and I and I got with this uh partnership brand called Unique in China. I bought all of these coats. I bought over 500 coats and I gave them away through my winter coat assist. I had one in October, November, and I had one in January, this past January of 2020. Also, we gave away uh, shoes. We gave away gingerly used coats and scarves, hats, everything that uh, kids would need for the winter, boots, socks, just everything. So as far as the philanthropy and uh, and, uh, food drives and everything that we do in a community. I was geared toward doing a basketball camp to where it was going to be a clash with academics and athletics. But the coronavirus, you know, shut it down. It was going to be June. I had it. I had my high school. I've been doing a lot of work in my high school, John Marshall, which I got my high school jersey retired in December 2019. So I've been doing a lot of work at my high school um, just talking to the to, to the kids who on a basketball team, but, you know, just growing up in the streets and, and at-risk kids and just being an inspiration and a motivation to them because, you know, I came from that situation. So this past January, before I ended up going over to play uh, in Egypt, before the coronavirus had ended the season, I was there every week at Marshall speaking to the boys and the girls basketball team, the football team. And we were just having these, these circles and giving them spaces to talk about what life is like outside of school. Talk about a lot of issues that, you know, I didn't have a chance to mentally process, you know, that just now I'm, as an adult, I'm getting through it. So I'm giving these kids spaces to own the mental part of sports because it's a lot of mental frustration that we don't take care of as athletes. And just the other aspect of, you know, living in poverty. That's a whole mental health aspect that we don't pay close attention to. So those are things that my nonprofit organization is geared toward. You can find more about my foundation on my webpage, TaylorMadeFoundation414.org. So now we just we just seeing how we can get digital and get with the quarantine time. So during this time, we're just trying to see how we can come out top because this quarantine thing has put a, a big damper in everything business-wise, but we, we're figuring it out. I got some things that I got coming up. I, I got a, a book that I've been working on, a creative way to, you know, tell this story about myself. So I got a comic book, and it's like a short stories about a few episodes in my life that I'm working on. So a few things that I got going on. You know, I got a clothing line that's an athletic apparel line that's in the process of dropping this summer too. So I got a few things that I'm working on. So shortly, you know, we'll be back in contact so I can give you the drops and the dates on some of these things. Awesome. Keep being creative, man. You've, you certainly had an interesting story of your life and I'm glad that you're doing so much with it and sharing your story. So thanks for coming on the show today, man. This has been fantastic. Stay safe and healthy during this pandemic and keep grinding on the stuff the way you've always been doing. And I can't wait to watch you when the big three starts. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you for everything, man. Thanks for your time. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, man. So this has been my interview with professional basketball player and philanthropist Mike Taylor, most recently of the big three. 
please subscribe if you like the show on any platform that you're listening to the show. But you got all kinds of great interviews coming up, and we really appreciate your support and your listening. That was a great story we just heard. Mike Taylor might be the best basketball player that you've never heard of. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe, everybody. Stay safe, everybody.